Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The year after I graduated from seminary, I worked as a a hospital chaplain. And on Ash Wednesday in the hospital, we had a service in the hospital chapel. But we would also go around to all of the nurses' stations to offer the imposition of ashes to people who wanted to receive them but couldn't leave their shift to go to the service in the chapel. And we were oddly this kind of chipper bunch, my fellow chaplains and I, as we went around offering ashes? Ashes? Anyone want ashes? Some people looked at us like we were crazy. Others were grateful. My favorite responses were the people who said, oh, thanks, but I'm not Catholic. And I said, neither am I. Ashes? It's a funny thing we do, this imposing of ashes. And if you were listening just now to the gospel reading, the irony is probably not lost on you that we do one of our most publicly visible acts of worship on the day when we also hear Jesus to tell us to beware of practicing our righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Frankly, it always makes me a little bit nervous. But I wonder if God might not want us to be a little bit nervous. Or if not, at, if not nervous, then at least particularly aware. Aware of how easy it can be for us to slip from religion into religiosity, to mistake sanctimony for sanctification. That's the basic message of our lesson from Isaiah today. And on this day, when we enter a season when many of us will take on some kind of spiritual practice that isn't part of our lives the rest of the year, this is a good message for us to hear. And so I want to spend just a few moments looking at this chapter of Isaiah. The situation is basically this. The Israelites are, in a way, doing what God has told them to do. They are seeking God. They are doing righteousness. They're delighting in God's ways. They're fasting. And these are all good things. And yet God calls his prophet Isaiah to declare to the people that in doing these things, they are actually sinning. So stop and think about that. They are doing what they have been told to do, and God tells Isaiah to shout in a voice like a trumpet that they are actually sinning. These are harsh words. Because there's nothing in these verses that indicates that the Israelites weren't sincere in what they were doing. This wasn't pretense. And yet, even so, God rejects their actions. And we see why in verse 3. Why have we fasted, the Israelites ask God, and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no notice of it? The questions themselves betray what is wrong with the people's fast, which is that they're doing it to get something from God. They want to be noticed. They want to be seen. 
They want to have their religious observances met with God's approval. And this kind of tit-for-tat approach to God turns their relationship into nothing more than a transaction. If I do X, God will do Y. And the problem is that that's exactly how the pagans in the Israelites' day approached their gods. But it was never how Yahweh told his people to relate to him. Instead, God called for their humble obedience. And he didn't want them just to obey the laws. He wanted them to not forsake his judgments, as verse 2 puts it. That word judgments might be better translated as commands or ordinance. Not just a list of rules to follow, but a whole orientation. It's what one of my seminary professors called the order of compassionate justice that God has created. So when the Israelites fast, God wants it to be because they are choosing to submit themselves to God and to the fullness of his reign to the order of compassionate justice with which he created the whole world. And what happens when the Israelites fast shows us that that's not what they're doing. They fast, but they seek their own pleasure, and they oppress their workers as they do it. You fast only to quarrel and fight, God says, and to hit with a wicked fist. Now, I, I will admit that I have compassion on the Israelites here because anytime I am hungry, I am likely to quarrel and fight as well. But it makes sense that if the Israelites' acts of piety are actually leading them into behavior that is anything but godly, then they're probably missing a piece of the equation. And it is a pretty huge piece. It's what God describes in verses 6 through 7 when he talks about the kind of fasting that he wants his people to engage in. God wants them to fast in ways that lead not to oppression and exploitation, but to justice, freedom, and compassion. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free. In other words, if God's people want to fast in a way that is pleasing to God, then they cannot remain indifferent to the suffering and needs around them. This is the sort of business that God is about, attending to the suffering and the needy, and it's the sort of business that God's people should be about. As one commentator puts it, if they want to deprive themselves Let them do it for the sake of the oppressed, the needy, and the helpless, not for the sake of their own religiosity. So God calls out the Israelites for the transactional way that they approach him with. And he calls them out for being indifferent to the suffering around them in the midst of their religious observance. And finally, there's one more thing that God addresses in this chapter, and it's kind of unexpected. It's delight. We find it in the last two verses of the chapter, which 
aren't included in this lectionary passage, but which I think are crucial. And this is what they say. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going in your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is calling the Israelites back to observing the Sabbath, God's holy day. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, God says, in other words, if you stop trampling on it and instead honor it, then you shall take delight in the Lord. Delight in the Lord is so key to this entire chapter. Because at the end of it all, that is what God wants for us. Yes, he calls us to obedience and to self-sacrifice and to denial for the sake of others. But the whole reason God calls us to those things is that when we do them, we are brought into intimacy with him. And from that intimacy, we experience delight, joy, pleasure, satisfaction. This is what God wants for us. But he wants us to find those things not in ourselves, but in him. This is the end of faithful discipleship. And I think it is profoundly beautiful that in calling his people to obedience, God is ultimately calling us to delight, to the joy of being in covenant relationship with him. So as we enter this season of Lent, as we receive these ashes in a very visible sign of our piety, as we embark on special spiritual disciplines. My prayer is that we would heed God's call in the words of Isaiah. I pray that we will seek God for God's sake and not for what God can do for us. I pray that we will have hearts that are moved by compassion to resist oppression and to work for justice. And I pray that in all of our observance of Lent, in our self-examination and repentance, in our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, in our reading and meditating on God's holy word, in all of it, may we delight in the Lord and the intimacy of our relationship with him. For that is the fast that the Lord chooses. Amen.